Roger. Yeah, I think you're pulling the wrong one. I'm just... Okay, I'm ready to pull it down now. There was still a little bit uh, left in the... Okay, don't hold it quite so tight. Okay. Hi, welcome to the podcast. This is how it's going to start. Take a breath and welcome to Live to Tape with Johnny Pemberton, a.k.a. Hands on the Branch, also known as the Executive Buffet, but better and best known as Daddy's Big Red Truck that he drives behind a freight train that drives through your house on Christmas Eve, ready to just give you everything you've ever wanted in the form of material items and also remove things that are unwanted, like garbage vampire demon people who screech at 4 a.m. and other things that are not visible. Hi, it's me. It's Johnny. Welcome to the episode. This is a really great episode, really fun, cool one. This is a continuation of the previous episode with Jason Louv. This is part two. I'm super stoked about it. This is, a, <laughs> this is a fucking great episode. But before we continue on the episode, here's a little song I wrote called Kick It to the Top with a Boot. It's all about securing your backyard if you have any type of a swimming device. Check it out! Get it. 
This band, this is such. This was that was the most, probably the worst uh, segue I've ever done in the podcast. Borderline offensive. We'll roll with it. But I, it's a new story. Here's the new story. After this, I want to ask you about what we were talking about earlier that we didn't get to. We talking about crazy shit. But this is this song, the Bree. I think I played this on the podcast before. You probably love this band. This is from like the same era of Black Box Recorder. But what's the band called? Quixote, Q uh, U I X. Like Don Quixote. Yeah. Okay. But it's it's Q U I X uh, asterix O asterix T I C. The world's hardest band name to ever spell. This dates me so much. Such, it's so college radio. It's 2002. That's the great era, though. It is. Yeah. But I mean, it's easy for me to say because it's that this was is my before auto tune. That was my era too. So yeah. Every all the music that came out while I was in doing college radio was the best music. <laughs> I think I was doing college. I I only briefly did college radio, but I think it was the exact same time as this. You did not hear this band though. Uh huh. So dark. Did you go to school here or? Florida State, baby. Okay. <laughs> Were you like the college? Did you like run the college radio station? Were you no. the guy? No, I was radio? just a DJ for the all the whole time I was there. But I yeah, I started doing it the, when I first got there because oh, nice. somehow they hired me as a freshman. I don't know why. Okay. Evidently, that's not. They normally don't do that, but I just. 
I don't know. I fell into it and I fucking loved it. But I wasn't into any indie rock at all. I wasn't really into jazz and to oh, wow. funk and like stuff like that. So anything I learned about was like it was new, all new to me. Like stuff like any kind of indie rock. I didn't even know what it meant, what indie even meant mm. when I started uh, on college radio. I had it explained to me by this guy, Ethan, one time. And I realized how contrived it can be. <laughs> You're bringing back so much contrived. nostalgia for me. Yeah. I, that was such an amazing world for me. I did, yeah, I did college radio at KZSC in Santa Cruz. Okay. UC Santa Cruz. And it was just, yeah, what a, what a great world, you know? It's like, awesome. You're surrounded by interesting people who are obsessive about music and yeah. giant walls of, you know, CDs with, you know, do not resell stickers on them. It's the greatest. Yeah. I, have a, I have a lot of love for WVFS Tallahassee. I'm not sure what kind of state it is in right now, but I always will, will rep them. Has college radio changed a lot in, like, the Spotify era? Or? I wonder. I honestly don't know. I think it has to have. But also, I think there's there's always going to be indie bands, right? There's always going to be people putting out their own music. I think, what, from what I know, I would love to hear someone in their 20s listening to us right now and laughing their ass off. But it's, I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people putting out tapes. But I don't know how much radio stations are playing cassettes. People SoundClouds? Yeah. I, I honestly, I don't know. It's so crazy. I don't know what the state of music is right now, but it just seems like it's become... Like the whole idea that we had growing up, that you could become Prince and make $60 million a year doing music. It's yeah. like, well, you can get 60 million SoundCloud followers. Yeah. You know, but it's like the whole... Like, music is no longer this dream where you can go, you know, because the economics are not there anymore. Everyone just yeah. gets everything for free, so. I mean, this, there's, I've, people can be big, but it's not, it's not different. The same. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the reasons in the 60s bands got so big is because the media was so limited. You know, it's like when there's only a few channels. Oh, right. And there's only like one FM, you know, a few FM radio stations, then you're only going to hear one or two or three bands. They there's only going to be it. space for a few people to be repeated. And so you're, until like, until you get to college and you do college radio, then you find out about other stuff. But you know, now everything is, it's, everything is infinite. So there's no, like, there's no, like, there will never again be a way to focus and concentrate everybody's attention in one place. Yeah. Unless it's like Donald Trump or something, you it's, know. Like, there's <laughs> so, there's so much content and it, it keeps even expanding to the point where, uh, how is this going to, how is this going to end? Because even if I think about like, tele, like TV, right? There's so many, so many different comp places you can watch TV. Like, uh, do, I have, do I have an Amazon subscription? Do I have a Netflix subscription? Do I have a Hulu, Hulu subscription? YouTube. YouTube. And there's even more. There's stuff I can't even think of. There's the Paramount channel. But that's right. owned by Viacom, so it's sort of a thing, but it doesn't come with your Viacom subscription. Right, 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 right. There's always different things to the point where if you wanted to, to watch everything, you'd be paying far more than it would cost to just have a cable subscription. And even then, that cable package doesn't give you even all the stuff. Right. There's just so many bandwidths. It's almost like it's kind of—I was thinking the other day with some people. I was thinking the other day. We were talking about it, and I kept thinking, like, is it going to be where—is it just going to become the studio system all over again at some point? Because it's just—things mm -hmm. are going to get so diffuse that we're just going to have to—may have big conglomerates all over again. It could be. I mean, we're starting to see that happening where, you know, Netflix and Amazon are, are creating their own original stuff, yeah. just throwing money at creating things in-house, and then everyone is just trying to aggregate all the attention on their platform. But I think, yeah, it's like when you have, like, 
oh, have you seen that new show? It's on CBS All Access. Yeah, what? Well, like, what no, I haven't you know, seen like, that. <laughs> how the fuck would I have seen that? So, and this is how Google has been and remained so dominant because people just go to YouTube. And I think that's why, you know, um, YouTube and Twitter have become the public commons because everyone's on that. Yeah. And the whole, really the Free. whole, the whole model of, you know, I think we're still in the era. When the internet first happened, this is a good segue to that MoMA song, by the way. When the internet yes. first happened, uh, everyone was trying to figure out how to make it like TV. Like when new media happened, people yeah. try to figure out how to make it like the old media. And we're we're kind of out of that. We're we're just probably about to the next phase of it. But there's still this sense of people trying to hold on to the media. But it's uh, uh, trying to say, oh, how do we do TV? Right. Instead of like what you were saying about podcasts, it's like how do we use this medium and do something totally new and creative and crazy? It's kind of starting to be a bit because people are making like things that are linear and stuff as opposed to just... But even that, we don't know. Who knows? VR is coming too. This song came out in 1997. It is the most prescient and helpful song about the internet age ever written. Even now, it's almost like it was written about Twitter in advance. Really? Well, listen to it. Full volume, please. I mean, I'm doing full. I'm telling myself. This announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now entering the age of information. It's perfectly safe. If we all take a few basic precautions, may I make some observations? Axiom 1, for the world we've become, your reputation used to depend on what you concealed. Now it depends on what you reveal. Of secretive mandarins who creep on hills of tact is dead. We're all players now in the great game of fact instead. So, since you can't keep your cards to your chest, I'd suggest you think a few moves ahead as one does when playing a game of chess. Axiom 2 to make the world new. Paranoia is simply a word for seeing things as they are. You wish to be seen to act or leave for some other star. Somebody is prying through your files, probably. Wow. Somebody's fantasy <laughs> a tin of Netscape budget cookies, but relax. If you're an interesting person, morally good in your acts, you have nothing to fear from facts. Axiom 3 for transparency. In the age of information, the only way to hide facts is with interpretations. There's no way to stop the free exchange of idle speculation. This is weird. How so? How so? Just how prescient what he just said is. Sitting in the dark with unsure whether to answer the phone. But these are different times. Now the bottom line is that everyone should prepare to be known. Most of your friends will still like you fine. Exit to why would I said to be? Be wrote an email and sent it to me. I shot C and C wrote to a flaming World War Three. Cut, paste, forward, copy, CC, go with the flow. Our ambition should be to love what we finally know. Or if it proves unlovable, simply to go. So he basically just described what was fake news. The idea that people say there's fake news. 
guys, I never thought about that before, actually. That's which interesting. Part, which part? Yeah, yeah, you can't conceal facts, so you just have to decide how they're interpreted. Our loyalties should shift in view. According to what we know and who we are speaking to. Once I was loyal to you and prepared to be against information Now I'm loyal to information, maybe I'm disloyal to you My loyalty becomes more complex and cubist With every new fact I learn Depends who I'm speaking to and who they speak to in turn Axiom 5 for information workers who wish to stay alive Supply never withhold the information requested With total disregard for interests personal invested Chinese whispers is an unlocking Where the signal degraded between brain and brain Digital whispers is the same in reverse The word we spread gets better not worse Better not worse Said to why were they said to be? Be wrote an email and sent it to me. I showed C and C wrote away. Flaming World War Three. <laughs> Cut, paste, forward, copy, CC, go with the flow. Our ambition should be to love what we finally know. Or if it proves unlovable, simply to go. A lot of lyrics in there. Yeah, there's some words. Jam. Jam. This combination of jam and. I don't know that's why I said I almost said damn, but Momus Age of Information. That's from two thousand It was nineteen ninety seven. That's nineteen ninety seven. Nineteen ninety seven. So that's that's uh, over twenty years ago. That's is that true? Oh my god. That's over twenty years ago. Years, that's insane. Jesus Christ. It also makes me realize how little has changed because email there's a lot of, a lot of the tech words you're saying, you still do that stuff, but right. it's also a lot of stuff that's new as hell. I think we've just been uh, it's amazing how prescient that song is, and I'm very grateful yeah. that I, I listened to that when it came out. It was a good guide for me, you know, going into the, into you know, because I, I, I basically have lived, I've lived inside an Apple Macintosh since I was five years old. Wow, right? how's like, that? Well, in the sense that I, you know, I got my first computer at yeah. five, and I have not been outside wow. of Apple's operating system since then, and I've lived my entire life through the lens of That's a crazy, computer because man. it allows me to extend my consciousness over the whole planet and interact with yeah. the entire world instead of just, you know, talking to a few people at a time. Right. So I've been in, you know, the tech world for so long, and... <clears throat> so, you know, I think these are things that people were figuring out in the early cyber culture in the 90s, mm -hmm. like the Mono 2000 days and things like that. And as the Internet grows and everyone, you know, becomes, you know, another great Momus line from this this era is he said, in the future, this is also so prescient. You know, there's the classic Andy Warhol thing of in the future, everyone will be famous for 15, 15 minutes. minutes right. Momus changed this and said, in the future, everyone will be famous for 15 people. Right. Ooh. Again, 1997, spot yeah. on. Right. So. Um, the, you know, people have been trying to come to grips with the internet and the internet is not just a technology. It's a complete shift in human consciousness. Yeah. It's a, it's a connection. It is the realization of the mystic dream in a way, the Buddhist dream, because the internet connects us. It inter telepathically interlinks everyone on the planet who at least yeah. has a phone or an internet connection. <clears throat> and as a result, we're having to deal with like the shadow projection thing that I mentioned earlier, but we're also having to deal with all of our own collective shadow in real time 
And even though things are so dark right now, I think if you step back and think about how accelerated that process has been, it's really good in the grand scheme of things. You get a guy like Donald Trump or things like the alt-right, and these things are surface. These things were always there, right. but they're surfacing to the, con- the conscious awareness. It's like in psychotherapy. The whole goal of psychotherapy, as stated by Freud, is simply to make the unconscious conscious. Mm-hmm. You make what you, 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 Freud's theory was at least that people have unconscious motivators that are driving them throughout life and they're repressing them and not taking full, not owning them, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, you're, you're attacking the, you know, a classic cliched example would be like, you know, you're spending your life trying to attack, uh, you know, the system, but you're really just angry at your dad. Yeah. Right? You know, things like, like that. that's almost everybody in comedy. <laughs> well, it's it's a cliche, right? But, yeah, trying to make your dad the audience laughs. You want your duck and dad to laugh. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, it's true for you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a universal it's re- thing. It's replete. Right? It is replete. That's a good way of putting but, it. But, but, saw, yeah, but his idea was bring the unconscious to right. the con- So at least you know. And it's like what I was saying with shadow work. It's like, it's like you know that what you're actually doing and you're no longer lying to yourself. Right. And then you can make a conscious decision what to do next instead of being driven by this thing that's outside of the realm of conscious awareness. So the internet is doing this for everyone. It's bringing the unconscious material to the surface. And the really to make a prediction, the really interesting thing that's going to happen within the next five to ten years is when everybody gets on the internet, right now Mark Zuckerberg are doing, you know, satellite stuff. They want everyone on the world in the world to be online right. through their phones and have internet connections no matter where they are with cell phones, right. cheap cell phones and cheap satellite. And satellite internet essentially. When the whole thing world who has been the third world or the developing world to be PC, um, which has <laughs> I been... I don't even know that. I've been saying third world. Developing world is the correct way to wow. say it. You know, the developing world, while we have our, you know, cultural battles and we fight the our cultural wars between groups in, in the West, you know, we, we forget that the developing world is essentially like our slave societies for mm-hmm. the first world. It's like, you know, there's people in Bangladesh making... Nikes for three cents, you know, yeah, so like, they're getting like uh, all kinds of molybdenum and copper and weird rare yeah. elements out of all of Africa Absolutely. to make chips. People are being worked 20 hours a, yeah. a week. There's no child labor laws. It's and and whenever when, when everyone gets on the Internet and the true unconscious of humanity, which is all of the people that have been silenced erupts onto the Internet and we realize that Actually, slavery never ended. We just outsourced it. <laughs> things are going to get interesting. But My I think God. it's so good that things are happening. Things are as, as chaotic and tumultuous as things are. It's This process is accelerating. And it's it's because humanity is, is interlinked now through electronics, which is like a form of t- a kind of like a metaphorical, you know, you could metaphorically call that a kind of telepathic linking between yeah. everyone. We're seeing each other and we're having to deal. And, and it's and, hard. People, it's, it's like heavy. People get all fucking stressed out, and it's so many people who previously were not, were were doing fine, so to speak, are now just really like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Right. When nothing's really changed, but just the awareness has changed so much. Yeah, I see what you're saying because like it has been a relatively short time. So in a sense, we're doing great. It's just yeah. we're doing pretty good for this thing that is like learning to drive a fucking car that goes a thousand miles per hour we haven't right. really crashed it yet we've hit some right. guardrails and stuff but there hasn't been any sort of massive right severe thing people forget that you know even in the 80s people thought we were on the brink of nuclear war how many times could there have been a nuclear exchange in the last 50 60 70 years that wiped out all life on earth and it hasn't happened it hasn't happened so we're doing pretty good and i think that um 
I lost my train of thought. I think that internet, <laughs> internet's got to get that internet money. Uh, yeah, the interwebs. It's it's a crazy place. Do you think that any of that stuff has to do with uh, humans inherent? Um, uh, my my personal theory. It's not like my personal theory, but I feel like something. It's probably someone else, an intellectual or someone who said it better. But I think the reason we hasn't been a total nuclear fallout is because humans. The human genome inherently is wants to preserve itself, and it would not allow that because that would mean mm. the destruction of humans. That's a good point. You want to hear something really crazy? Sure. So <clears throat> Francis Crick, who was one of the two discoverers of DNA. Right, Watson and Crick. Watson and Crick. And by the way, the people thing that people always forget is Crick discovered it on LSD. He saw, oh. he saw the DNA molecule, the double helix while tripping on acid. That's so interesting because I always see shapes when I'm meditating. Like I, I love thinking about shapes and like Ge- working them out. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, or like, yeah. Like building little things. Something about that is so interesting. Makes you wonder where math and geometry came from in the first place, huh? Ooh. They were tripping a little bit back then. They were on hard drugs. One of the songs I was going to give you but I didn't bring is They Were on Hard Drugs by Julian Cope, where he's basically saying, you want to understand ancient history? Look, they were all on hard drugs. Um, We're saying Crick, though. Crick was on LSD. Crick, one of the two discoverers of LSD, Mm -hmm. he wrote a book in 1981 called Life Itself, Mm -hmm. where he talks about the panspermia thesis, which sounds more exciting than it is. Yeah. It's basically the idea that DNA was on a meteor that came here and crash landed. DNA is the alien, right? It crashed and then started spreading. If you look at DNA, it's the same for every damn living thing on Earth. Yeah. It's just the code is rearranged like, you know, it's like a Rubik's Cube. Like, right. if you imagine DNA as a Rubik's Cube. Uh-huh. You just change the configuration and it creates a new form of life. Right. That's DNA, but it's the same Rubik's Cube for everything. Right. It's all the same. When you get down to the when you get down to the, the, the micro, that level, that size, the, the microcosmos, So you imagine DNA landing here, creating you know, microorganisms, uh, uh, fish, reptiles, yeah. birds, and then eventually mammals, monkeys, people, and then finally evolving something that's capable of making spaceships to take it to another planet. Yeah, it's like a spore, right? essentially. So if, yeah. it's, if it's a spore, it lands, it does all this stuff so it can create uh, more spores or something. Yeah, it's, that's, that's one, I love thinking about that. It's also one of those things where, like, if that's the case— d- Everything. I mean, I don't know. It, it's hard to to rationalize. You know, not not that I'm not saying it's not true. It's one of those things where it just makes everything seem sort of like like it's just bullshit or well, total. It is, though. Yeah, <laughs> everything is bullshit. It is I mean, bullshit. I think that my what I suspect, what I suspect, right, yeah. is that is that there's only really one form of life on the planet, and that's DNA. And it's created all these things that seem individual, but it's really one life form. And we have been created with this sense of individuality because you need this fiction. I mean, we know, of course, from neuroscience that your sense of yourself, your I, your identity is largely a trick created. It's created by the brain. Because it keeps you, you alive. It keeps you alive. If you think you're individual, then you're not going to allow yourself to be killed by somebody else, and you're right. going to have a re- strong reproductive imperative. If you have a banana... You're not going to give it to someone else. You're going to eat it. Right. And you're going to believe this fiction. Like, I got to yeah. go out and reproduce and against the other tribe and all this. And and so, but I think that, and this is, a, again, also a very Buddhist view. I think that, you know, all the individuality is a fiction. And really, we're all one organism. Right. And at which point, why are we all killing each other? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right? But, it's, it's weird to me. You know how, like, a lot of politics, they, they meet around the back of the circle? Like, the far right and the far left come together. The, like if politics is a circle and like a centrist is the top of the circle and the, the fringe lunatics at the bottom, the, it always seems like the far right and the far left tend to agree uh, at some point. 
because there's a lot of Maybe. commonality between the far right and far left. It's almost like this. You could think about it in the same way where there's a lot of commonality between people who do who are like primitivists who are super into just like like basic survival, like living in the woods kind of thing, live like an animal. Mm. There's a lot in common with, you could say, like really high-minded futurists who think about stuff on a universal scale. It's, right. kind of, it's very similar because the genome, all that stuff about genomes, like the, 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 how the genome dictates everything we do, which is spooky to think about too. That's well, well, think, very similar. Well, think about it this way: how much of your, be, you know, how much of your behavior is dictated overtly or covertly by reproduction? I mean, it's so much of it; it's it's ridiculous. Right? Like, why? Like, why does anyone try to become like awesome? You know? Yeah. It's like, right? Really? You know? Like, That's my big argument with the whole incel thing. It's like, mm. guys, if you're not if you're not here to reproduce, if you're not trying to get laid. If you're just sort of giving up and be like, oh, I'm not going to—no one will sleep with me. I'm a virgin. I'm an—you I'm an invol- right. know about the incel thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that to me is it's such bullshit because it's like— It's a bad story. Yeah, right? the whole thing like, is— there's, there's somebody for everyone. See, the thing is that people have been— You should get your shit together Well, also, people have, been, people have been so desensitized by porn and, uh-huh. and entertainment complex media, you know, like the entertainment, uh, the entertainment industrial complex. That's a good one. They, they had—their expectations are so high. Like they think like, oh, yeah, life is going to be like Pornhub or life is going to be like you're going to get Cindy Crawford. It's like, no, you're going to get somebody who's basically the same as you. Yeah. Right. So but why are you upset about that? Like what you want is love and human connection and relationship and growth. That's what's important. Not this this electronic fantasy you've been given. Expectations are really bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, relationships aren't even a, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, people, I I can't imagine what it would be like growing up with the internet now. It's like. I have, I can't, I have, it boggles my mind. It makes me, it makes me nervous just thinking about that. Yeah. It's like walking by high school, like, hope they don't say anything mean to me. Oh, geez. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, with the far right and the far left thing i mean they do get very upset if you say that though i think they call that horseshoe theory they do but, yeah but it's like because the, the view of the left is like how are we you know th- look they're nazis how are you comparing us to nazis come on yeah really? i guess i think more about how when i was more into politics uh like five, five or ten years ago how there was a lot of similarities between people who were uh super like because a lot of right-wing conservatives are really into like ending the fed and mm-hmm. you want to have um stuff you want to have less control and intervention from the government so you can do things like uh, taking care of everyone because there's, there's a lot of super right-wing conservatives who are anti-war mm-hmm. and there's a lot oh, of yeah. so I feel like that's a lot of stuff they agree on and also but it's also important to realize that there's some intentionality to that I think mm-hmm. that for instance the far right intentionally recruits by appearing to care about far left causes because one of the um, they figured this out, the, the European New Right, uh, several decades ago in Europe. But one of the things just to, is exactly what you're saying, which mm-hmm. is people who are angry radicals have a similar character structure. You yeah. know, it's basically the same. They're angry about different things, but there's a same, not quite the same, but a similar. They, their politics are perhaps radically different, but the, the character structure is the same. And so you often see people who are career radicals going, shifting poles further down the line. And I think that the far right, uh, both the far right and the far left have recognized that and will, so for instance, the far right in Europe figured out 
how to, they kind of adopted an anti-capitalist critique or an, an environmentalist critique. There you go. Or a, uh, there was they, uh, a guy named Ellen de Benoit figured this out in France. They adopted this kind of, you know, anti-corporatist. And then the, you'll notice now, too, where they started to adopt the language of anti-globalization, uh-huh. right? And it's, it's. It, in some sense, it's a camouflaging and, and recruiting technique. Wow. Because right? I feel like, yeah, because all that stuff is it's far left stuff for sure, 100%. Mm-hmm. And they figured out that they could be more appealing that way. But, you know, the, the general rule is if it walks like a Nazi, if it talks like a Nazi, <laughs> chances are it's going to be a Nazi, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Too bad. Yeah. Do you want to tell me that story that you were about to say before we talked about something else? You were talking about, so you, you know, because you say you've done a lot of traveling and stuff like that. Oh. Um, what was, well, oh, you just wanted to know crazy stories. Well, yeah. Let's see. I went to, I ended up training as a shaman in Nepal when I was 21. Really? And I later went up to the Himalayas a few years later to the birthplace of Shiva and Ganesh, 13,000 feet up at the shrine where Ram meditated at the beginning of the Ramayana War. Um, what else? I mean, you know, I've done, I've had a lot of crazy life. I've, I've lived many lifetimes in one life because once you get good at magic and meditation, it's very easy to uh, drop and adopt new personalities. So I used to work on Madison Avenue. I had like a whole advertising career. Damn. I worked, I did PowerPoint for Buzz Aldrin at one point. I worked with the space <laughs> industry. I mean, I worked with Google on their artificial intelligence program. Uh, I've done some, I've been in some weird places. That's the thing I was thinking about that I wanted to ask you about is because we didn't talk about, um, uh, not AI, but uh, um, t- what is it called? When you put the goggles on and you oh, go VR, VR. Yeah. So, because that to me seems like it's it's a it's inevitable. That's that's going to be. Well, it's here now. Yeah, like I was at Starbucks today, and I walked there to get a coffee. I, gu- I guess what I mean is that. Just so often now, you're in places and you see everyone staring at their phones. Like you look around, and literally every person is staring at their phone. And it's not weird at all. It's just it's very normal. And, you know, no person would be critical of that person, except for maybe like a fucking old codger coming out of the woods. Like, look at you. Look at being be alive. It's so normal. It's become increasingly more normal. There's going to be like some sort of a segue into something that's more immersive and less like this fucking thing you're looking at. I just wonder, like, what do you see that? What do you see that being and like and how soon and well, it's happening already. And yeah. the big thing, the first big, the, the wave of mass adoption is not actually going to be VR. It's going to be AR, augmented yeah. reality. So like right. Pokemon Go, okay. right? that's going to be the thing. But instead of Pokemon Go, and you see how fast that took off, totally. people adopted that. So instead of Pokemon Go, it's going to be like you hold up your phone in, in front of a store and you can see all the deals pop up or it like shows you, you know, how to drive or, you know, it's, it's, it will be living, it will be a, a, an, an additional layer of pop-up reality on top of the reality you're viewing in real time through your phone. But all device-based, do you think? At first. Yeah. And and then, you know, um, who knows where it will go next. Google tried Google Glass, but they looked so weird that nobody wanted them. Yeah. But I think that that, uh, the glass thing will happen. I think contact lenses will definitely happen with AR. With VR, right now, we're kind of in in like a weird limbo with VR where there was a big push where they finally figured out how to do it because they were talking about doing a VR as far back as the late 80s and oh, early yeah. 90s. They were saying, Lawnmower man. Yeah, totally. Everyone thought it was almost here. Right. And now they're kind of in a limbo zone where the technology is here, it's good, and the next wave next year will be even better. And we're starting to see 
you know, stop signs for things like Oculus Go, and you know, they were advertising them on Facebook for $180, things like that. So the price, what what has to happen is the price point for the three things have to happen. The price point for the gear has to drop down low enough that it's same, the same as buying a PlayStation. Mm-hmm. The content has to be good because right now you can get these amazing VR. Uh, equipment, you know, stuff, but then it's like, well, what do you there's do with it? Stuff. It's like, well, there's yeah. Google Maps. You can, like, pretend you're swimming in the Great Barrier Reef for five minutes, yeah. and it's kind of, it's, you know, there's porn, and, it's, you know, uh-huh. that's pretty much it. And so there's this actually a real problem in the VR industry right now. There's not, there's no good content. The, the Grand Theft Auto of VR has not been invented yet, right. right, or not been created. So that has to, so, so price point, good content, and then those th- three, those two things have to lead to the third thing, was, which is mass adoption. Right. And we, but it's crazy how fast that happened with Pokemon Go. So it's not that people don't want it. It's just mm-hmm. that there's just seemed to be on the edge of, of cracking the, cracking it from a, a mass marketing. So you think it's going to be at some point, it's going to be like a Fahrenheit 451 sort of situation, essentially? I think that it'll be like a, everyone's staring at their phone situation. I think that a yeah. lot of people will be on their VR headsets. But I don't think that... I think what it will be like, honestly, like right now, like I, I look at it like this. We have VR now, right? Like, yeah, we do. Think about all these in the sense that think about, I mean, everything is virtual reality, really. But think about the sense that how many people are out there who just spend their lives in their PlayStation. Right. Right. So so there's a certain percentage of people who use electronics to check out of society, at least for periods of time. And it's, right. it's, like, a, it's like a new form of drugs, basically. Right. So there'll be a lot of people who will just live in VR. But for most people, they're going to be the same. I don't think that somebody who's already an active person in the world is going to get like, dro- is going to drop out into VR. It's but just not, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. What about like the, the next, like literally in the, ne- the next generation of humans, like people who are really in that when it starts to become online and be as available and cheap and as uh, you know as um, robust <laughs> as someone else is that gonna I just wonder if people are gonna fundamentally change because so many of us will be jacked into something and more more than not I think so but I think that what really needs to happen is that the technology needs to be developed in such a way that it becomes integrated into people's lives. Yeah. If VR was integrated into people's lives the same way their phones were, for instance, like now people's phones are inseparable. It's their second brain. Yeah. Right. It's like a, it's practically the phone. I remember when the first iPhone came out, I was working at an ad, ag- ad agency and I walked into the elevator and one of the account executives came in the first day it was out and said, hey, Bill, how's it going? He said he was like this real kind of like New York, New Yorker, like uh, very much like a scary What's that guy name? Uh, uh, Scara. What was Trump's advisor's name? Oh, okay. Anthony Scaramucci or Scaramungo? I always think of uh, Scara. What is it? Scarabunga from yeah. James Bond. Uh, <laughs> yes, the Mooch. He's very much like that. And he's like, oh, uh, nothing much. And he just pulls out the iPhone. He's like, just looking at my new iPhone. They were like $600, $800, right? So that that was like a few years ago, right? Mm-hmm. That was what? 10 years ago, 11 so. years ago, and now it's based, It's practically a, an additional organ for the human body, right? It's yeah. like if you lose your phone or your phone service goes out, like, you know, like you don't know what to do. So I think that when VR, and I, that's why I say that AR will become much more integrated because AR, I think, will become an inseparable part of the human experience, just like having Google Maps or Yelp on your phone is. It, it's, it's, and it'll be either on your phone or glasses or contact lenses or perhaps implants at some point. What about how, uh, how good I feel when I'm in the woods and I can't get cell service. That is a, that's a rare experience these days. It is, but I just can't deny it. Like I, it makes me so much happier. It does and it doesn't. I also have a lot of anxiety when I'm out in the deep, like in the back country. What is your anxiety about? My anxiety is being disconnected. Bears? 
No, not at all. Okay. I'm not worried about anything like that. I'm worried. I get anxiety because mountain lions. What if I miss something, or what if someone's trying to get a hold of me for something and they can't? It's just really aggravated woodpeckers. <laughs> <laughs> All that stuff, I'm totally fine with. It's the anxiety. Six, it's the uh, the separation anxiety. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things where, I don't know, it, like it's just, I wonder if it's going to get so much worse. It will. To it where will. it's almost like, I can't, I can't be away from this shit. And it's, it's kind of, it scares me at least. It's, it scares me in a way where it makes me feel like unnatural, like it feels unnatural. It's such a stupid thing to say, but yeah. No, it is. And, and it's, it's crazy. I think that like in a way I feel that podcasts are kind of like a, what would you call it? Like podcasting is kind of like a, a halfway compromise, right? Right. Because the great thing about podcasting is like we're all Plugged in, and we're surrounded by electronic gear. But right? we're not, like, we're talking right now. We're not looking at our phones. Right. We're we're both plugged into the matrix, and we're making some, so to speak, and making something yeah. to go out on the internet. But we're actually able to have a human totally. conversation, and it's hilarious. Maybe this is just media people, but it seems like the only time you actually get to interact with people one to one is when you're podcasting with them. Maybe this is just me. But that's a good you're point. You're a comic, so you have a you have a different. Yeah, I feel like that's definitely something that'll never really go away, because people like it feels so good that, and maybe also. Uh, bowling is kind of like that's you can, uncorruptible. You still go bowling? I have. I, I don't go as much as I should. No one goes as much as they should. Even professional bowlers probably. When you go to bowling alleys, are they empty? I wish. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they're not. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, okay. they're, they're packed. Okay. I mean, all this stuff I'm saying, it's all just like a weird fear because everything, people still like doing the same shit essentially. Yeah. Well, they've also used the internet to come up with like all kinds of new weird Human, you know, weird human tricks to do. Like, yeah. you know, you look at people doing like roller derby and things like that because they all are on the same Facebook group right. or subreddit or something like that. And they find each other so they can go and do the thing in, in physical, physical world of it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a new thing. We're, we're learning how to integrate it. But yeah, I mean, but I don't think there's any way back. That's the thing. I mean, yeah, it would be nice to home. just drop out. But it's like what you're saying. It's like, you know, like I love being in the woods, but yeah, it's like, then I remember it's like, no, I surrounded myself with all this gear because I love it. You know, it's like yeah. I like the Internet, <laughs> you know, so. Also, when you're out in the woods, too, you want to I want to stay disconnected when I get disconnected because I don't want to have to go. It's like this. If when you go back in, if you're out in the backcountry like four or five days, it's kind of like, oh, man, I got to go back in. It's going to be a deluge of stuff because yeah. it's all been held back. And it's kind of like I want to just. I don't want to look at it. I want to stay away from it for as long as I can, I guess. Yeah. But this is, again, I mean, like the thing about meditation, like I went, you know, last year I went out to Joshua Tree and meditated did Vipassana for 10 days Ooh. and no talking, no, no, nothing, no cell phones, no writing, no books, nothing, That's just extreme. meditating in the desert. It was like Hellraiser, but it was great, right? It was like yeah. being in a Thai prison in the desert and it was excruciating. But by the end of it, it was so liberating because it, it took that long for my brain to slow down. Jesus Christ. That's it, so interesting. It was great, right? And be totally, yeah. and it was, it took that long to be taken, not only out of the electronic grid, but out of my own mental chatter and basically when you meditate enough you get just reconnected with nature in the sense that you remember you're just a physical thing <laughs> right it's, it takes that long just yeah. to remember that maybe wow. just maybe for me maybe it's easier for people who are athletes and things like that but but then returning to LA was like that you know the re-entry process that's fucking the re-entry is tough it's tough it's like being a, again like a meteor that starts burning up on yeah. re-entry it's like ah it burns I don't want to go back in it's tough but also don't you feel a bit like a badass 
Yeah. Like yeah. I always remember we come back out of the back country, we go to the big gas station that has all the all the stuff, we get some fish tacos and they have you know, it's a gas station, it has every kind of drink. And I'm thinking about going there and I'm like, the only thing I want right now is water, good water, or a beer. Yeah. I don't want anything else. I just don't want it. And I, I feel like feel like, like a badass because I don't care about any of this other stuff. I just want some basic shit. I don't want a fucking root beer or like a weird sugar-free beverage or something like that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. both, I suppose. The diet Mountain Dew blast. Yeah. Don't want it. Yeah. What's the, uh, before we go, what's like the best magic book or something people can check out if they want to? Well, check out. I have. A free, I want to check one out. I have a for, free. I have, I have a free course on magic. Okay. So you can get if you're in the U.S. You can get it by with your phone. You can text the word shaman. It's S H A M A N to the phone number four four two two two. So it's the word shaman to the word four four two. Excuse me, the word shaman S H A M A N to uh -huh. the number four four two 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 four four two two two. And then it, you'll just get a text back asking for your email. You put your email address in, and then it will sign you up for a. Eight day, it gives you a free ebook on how to start, and then you get seven days of lessons, including videos, podcasts awesome. I did with Duncan Trussell, uh, um, uh, YouTube's on how to meditate, articles, all kinds of. It's a great like free goodie bag. It gives you everything you need to start. So rad. That's the best place. That's rad. You can, if you're outside of the U.S., you can, you can also get it. the The URL is free.magic.me. So m a g i c k dot m e slash offer. So free.magic.me slash offer. For all you Aussies out there, thanks for being here, Jason. You're this welcome. is a rad podcast. This might have to be fun. a double. It's so good. This is a song you wanted to play. We're going to end with this. This is Brian Eno. This is from, what album is this from? Uh, Another Day on Earth, I think it's called. What, what year is this? 2005. Ah, man. Brian Eno, man. What the fuck? What a guy. He's a guy. He's one of the best. He's a dude. Dude who did some stuff. This bass is killing me. J-A-S-O-N-L-O-U-V dot... Com. Com? Old school. Yep. Old school. Bye, Jason. Just another day